subject of habits and establishing good habits and godly habits uh, in our lives. And uh, uh, we're looking at breaking habits right now. And uh, uh, this is an important thing uh, to understand. Uh, our launch pad verse, Gilbert, if you could read that for us, Luke 4, 16 through 19 is where we are uh, beginning, Luke 4, 16 through 19. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, so Brett, this, just so you know, the screen's not on right here, okay? This side. Um, okay, so we're, we're talking about habits and breaking habits, and just to get your minds working this morning, uh, last week we, we were talking about how the issue of breaking habits is, is a major issue in society today. Uh, we have a billion-dollar rehab industry. Uh, you can, uh, uh, if you listen to the radio, there's, there's always uh, take this pill, do this thing uh, to break a habit, and uh, this is such an appeal they especially go after people that are uh, bound by cigarettes or people who are uh, weight challenged. And you know, every kind of pill, every kind of method, every kind of system, uh, trying to get people uh, to change their life. And, and yet, for all the money that's spent, there's very little results. And so there, this is a, a major, a major issue in our world today. Now, we began last week by talking about the most important place to start as a Christian, and that is that we believe in deliverance. And we got into that last week, and deliverance is a power outside of yourself. A lot of times when you get involved in the rehab material, it's about discovering the power within yourself. Looking inside, Whitney Houston, who is not exactly the... Uh, beacon of discipline and personal victory uh, saying that song the greatest love is to love yourself and you know if you can just find it within yourself well the truth is that the deeper you look the more discouraged you're going to be okay? you're going to find that running around inside of your heart is a rat amen and that's true and so finding the strength within you is you're not going to find it. Deliverance says, I need a strength outside of myself. I need power to be brought to bear on my life. And in our text that our, uh, our brother just read, it says that Jesus came to liberate. He came to open prison doors. He looked at humanity as being bound and helpless Unless power was brought to bear from the outside, nothing was going to happen. Sunday, service this morning, I'm going to preach a sermon on invasion and the need for an invasion um, because people are bound. And, and so we began to see this. The big macros pictures uh, are uh, uh, Moses uh, going to Egypt and a nation that had been in bondage for 10 generations, had known nothing but slavery, were turned around and instantly delivered as the power of God was brought to bear. We looked at Peter in prison and a personal, there's the collective deliverance, but then there's the personal deliverance. He's in jail. He's not getting out of jail, but God supernaturally steps in with an angel and causes chains to fall from his hands, prison doors to open and to be guided out and to be delivered. And so uh, all deliverance starts there. If you have a habit you want to break, you need to bring that to God. You need to bring that to him, and you need to say, Lord, I'm bound. I confess that I am powerless within myself. I'm not going to be able to do this, but I believe that you can bring your power to bear on my life. You can break the chains, you can throw open the prison doors, and I can be uh, set free. And so the way we concluded last week 
is just, I just opened it up for people to testify about experiencing in their own life deliverance. And I mean, it was very, very powerful uh, to hear people that uh, all I did was throw open uh, the uh, opportunity and to hear people speak. And some of them were specific habits. I, I couldn't stop doing drugs or I, I couldn't stop a lifestyle I was trapped in. Other people, it, was, it wasn't about uh, a lifestyle or an addiction. It, there, there was, I was cold, I was angry, I, was, I had a shell, yeah, I, I was fierce, you know. And, and uh, they, they had attitudes, entrenched attitudes. Life had made them hard. And God delivered them and made them tenderhearted once again. And so uh, it can go across many, many different directions. But that is where we have to begin, and that is deliverance. Okay, now I'm going to talk to you about a few other things. I'm, I'm going to outline three ways to break a habit, and I'm going to use some, you know, interesting studies and things like that. But uh, listen, uh, having uh, begun in the spirit, we are not going to be made perfect by the flesh. And so uh, to simply offer up, you know, some, some uh, behavior experiments and a few ideas, I'm going to be the first to tell you, unless God helps us, we're not getting help, folks. Okay, and so that is the place to begin. So now, having said that, uh, I want to talk to you about one. I'm not going to get to the other two today. I'll save those for next week. Um, but I want to talk to you about something that's very interesting, and we want to deal now with a practical sense. One of the things that we talked about last week was the idea that you can be delivered and many, many people here, you were delivered when you got saved, but there were still some habits to be broken. Okay. How many would agree with me that since you've been a Christian, all your bad habits haven't disappeared? Okay. If you want, we can ask your wife, and she can help us. Because isn't that true? And that's amazing how people can say, I was delivered from a, a drug habit, from alcoholism and all that, and yet still have other bad habits, still have other things in their life. And, and you know, Israel was delivered uh, in a day from 400 years of bondage, but yet when you read about them in the book of Numbers, they still had some habits. And they had experienced a very real, genuine deliverance. There were still patterns of behavior, defaults that were operating within their system did not change, and so it is with you and I. And so when we talk about breaking free and overcoming some habits, I want to speak to you in a very real practical sense, and I'm going to make an assumption this morning that, that you might have one or two habits that you would like to change. Okay? Maybe that habit is uh, leaving the kitchen light on when you go to bed. Terrible, terrible things like that. Horrible humiliation that if anybody ever knew uh, that uh, you forget to throw the trash out once in a while, I, I, I know how, you know, it would be horrible for that to be discovered. But I'm sure those are the kind of habits we're talking about, right? <laughs> okay. But, but let's just talk about some things. And, and so uh, keys to breaking uh, some habits, and these are practical and uh, hopefully they're helpful. And most of all, I'm looking for contributions and insights. Maybe you can testify to this because, you know, I, I, I know that I can speak words of faith and we can look at these wonderful deliverances and that builds faith and that's good. But uh, I, I, one of the things I, I was blessed when I got saved in this fellowship is the ministry is very practical. Hang your hat on type stuff things that you can do, that you can walk out of here this morning and maybe say, you know what, maybe I can approach this habit this way or approach change in general in my life this way. And so the first uh, thing I want to look at is if you're going to break a habit, concentrate on one thing. This is interesting because one of the things, they, they actually... Uh, are studying this because, of course, it is a multi-billion dollar industry and our country is becoming more bound as time goes on. They're trying to figure out how to break habits, and so they're studying people and they're, and they're, and they're studying behaviors, and they've discovered something they call the keystone habit. 
And what they're talking about there is that if you could change, if you wanted to change your life, you looked at yourself and said, you know what, I've got all these problems in my life. They've discovered that the way to deal with that is to look at all the bad habits that you have. Pick one and simply attack that one habit. And they found out that when people do that, they create a momentum that allows them to begin to deal with many other habits. And I want to begin, I want to read the first paragraph of Lisa Allen. Will you put, this, uh, put that one up? So here is uh, the story of this woman, Lisa Allen. This is a true story. And uh, it says, Lisa Allen, according to her life, was 34 years old, had started smoking and drinking when she was 16, and had struggled with obesity for most of her life. At one point in her mid-20s, election agencies were hounding her to recover $10,000 in debts. An old resume listed her longest job as lasting less than a year. So is it fair to say homegirl has some problems? Some of you say, I know her. So here, let's get this picture. She's 34, been partying since she was 16, weight issues, in debt, collection agencies hounding her, can't hold a job. She is described or a significant segment of our society right now in America. Okay. So here's this lady. She's, she's got all these problems. Uh, and so uh, she's given her own story, and so she describes just, you know, um, just being depressed. And so what she would do is when she had enough money on her credit cards, she would go just go party and max her cards out. So she went on a, uh, a trip uh, to Egypt uh, and just went on a vacation. I, I don't care. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to run up all my cards, and, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll let the devil pay for it. And, and so she tells this little story. Go to the second. Half blind and jet lagged. She's gone on this vacation. Half blind and jet lagged, she reached for a cigarette. She was so disoriented that she didn't realize until she smelled burning plastic that she was trying to light a pen and not a Marlboro. She had spent the, last four, the past four months crying, binge eating, and unable uh, to sleep. I think it continues. Feeling ashamed, helpless, depressed, and angry. All at once, lying in bed, she broke down. It was like this wave of sadness, she said. I felt like everything I had ever wanted had crumbled. I couldn't even smoke right. I felt desperate, like I had to change something, at least, at least one thing I could control. So we're, we're, we're getting a picture here of a pretty desperate and pathetic woman. So she, she went on this, she, she blew her credit cards, got in more debt, goes to Egypt. While she's there, she finds this, uh, there's this brochure advertising this trek across the Egyptian desert, and somehow that fascinated her. And so uh, Lisa Allen got into her system that she wanted to go on this tour across the desert of Egypt. So this woman is got all kinds of physical issues. She is not in shape. She has all kinds of problems. And so she comes back and, and says, I'm going to go on this trip. And so as she's doing that, she says, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it if I'm still smoking. And so she made the decision, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to uh, stop smoking so I can at least breathe well enough. Now here she has, she's had obesity issues, she has debt issues, she has work issues, she has all, you know, everything else. But just because she decided she's going to go on this vacation, I'm just going to stop smoking so I can go on this vacation. Now let me read you this last paragraph. Go ahead and throw this up. She decided to take a tour across the desert in Egypt. In order to get in shape, she did one thing. She quit smoking. She would replace smoking with jogging, and that, in turn, changed how she ate. Worked, slept, saved money scheduled her work days, planned for the future, and so on. She would start running half marathons and then a marathon, go back to school, buy a house, and get engaged. 
life radically transformed. And so this uh, is interesting because this woman is being studied. I mean, they actually now are, are you know, this woman goes in the lab, they interview her, they study her because they, she had this radical change of life and they reduced it down to, I'm going to change this one thing. I can't change everything. I'm not going to be able to solve all the problems. But I'm going to change this one thing. And somehow, in changing this one thing, something changed in her that caused her to begin to deal with so many other areas of her life that were out of control. What was, I should have put the quote up here, but what was interesting is that when they first met this girl, they had taken brain scans. And when they took these brain scans, they could see what they uh, described as like canals or channels in her brain. That the habits that she had had for so long, for almost 20 years, it's almost like they had cut a pathway in her brain of addiction, the same pattern of self-pity and, and smoking and drinking and and all binge eating and binge spending and all these things had created actual physical channels in her brain that uh, the moment she would go down into that self-pity mode, she would move right in these directions. Then, after she began to get a handle on her life and began to deal with these things, in another brain scan, those channels were still there, but they had been overwritten by different channels. It was like the, the composition of her brain actually changed, that those habits no longer were the, as we said last week, habits are like a road that you walk down over and over again. It's like she started walking down a new road, and as she did that, it's like that became the default now. She's no longer, the, the impulses to just give up and quit and go crazy that had been actually physically changed, when she began to exercise her will in a different direction. Want to change? Start by changing one thing. Hey, now uh, Zechariah. Let's get a, uh, some scriptures here if you want to read this morning. Zechariah four ten. Zechariah four ten. Thomas and Jim. Luke sixteen ten. Anybody else want to read here? Okay, on this side, Gino. Mark ten twenty one and twenty two. Daniel. Luke ten forty two. Doris. Philippians three thirteen and fourteen. So we're talking about this now. We've used these scriptures already, but we need to lock this in our mind this morning. We're saying that if you want to change a habit, start by changing one habit, Zechariah 4.10. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven were the eyes of the Lord, which ranged through the whole earth. Who has despised a day of small things? Okay, in Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in that what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Okay, we got our, we got our scriptures backwards. That's okay. So um, here uh, we find that small things... Uh, don't dismiss small things. Don't dismiss them. Don't uh, uh, think they're not significant. You can turn a large battle by winning a small battle. Right? Jesus says being faithful in the little thing is what causes you to become faithful in much larger things. If you could approach a little thing in your life and bring to bear God's help, God's grace, your will, on one little thing, that faithfulness in that little thing will allow you to begin to get victory in something else. Now, here's a woman. There's no mention of faith or Christianity at all in this woman. All we know is that she had a massive problems, but she just said, I'm just going to deal with this. And somehow by winning this battle, it was a keystone. It unlocked in her understanding that I can win in other areas of my life and things can change. And behaviorists are looking at this and saying, hey, there, there's something to this. Now, you know, from time to time, people want to counsel with me about debt. They'll come to me 
They've got all this debt. And the same thing, you can feel overwhelmed like Lisa Allen. And you've got this, you know, you know, college debt. That's why if I can throw this in for free, if you're going to go to college, and, and that's good, and a lot of you, we had a lot of graduates, if you're able to go to college, go to college. If you're going to, going to college means getting in debt and then dropping out halfway through the semester, then don't go to college. Because if you don't believe me, ask some of the older people here about paying college debt. You can have a $20,000 bill and no degree. And so use common sense. And so a lot of people, they're overwhelmed by debt, and they sit down, and they would love, come here, get all your bills together. Let's lay hands on your bills. Loose them right now and set them free. All right, you're done. Let's go walk in victory. But how many know that's not the way it works? You're going to have to have a strategy. And that strategy is always... You've got debts, the college debt, 16000 from uh, some business school that uh, got, got your money and then dropped you after a quarter. And then you've got maybe a car debt or a debt, a card that you got repoed. And then you've got a credit card and you got, you know, you, and you look at that, so how do you deal with it? Well, you deal with it by approaching one bill, attacking one bill. That bill might be $550 or whatever. And say, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to, you can't pay everything. Don't, well, I'm not going to tithe until I pay my debt. Then you will never get out of debt. But you have to say, I'm going to approach this one bill. I'm going to attack it. And when you've attacked it, paid it down, something happens in you. You begin to realize that I can win some of these battles. And then you move on to a second bill. I'm not going to get into it all this morning, but if you were to read about the, uh, our uh, Revolutionary War, you will find that uh, you know, George Washington didn't have very many victories, very few victories. Only, you know, the, the, but every once in a while, they would win a small skirmish. Every once in a while over New Jersey, they won a couple of battles, and when they won them, it just gave them confidence to keep on fighting. That's usually the way it is. Marcus? Um, yes, this year, um, at the beginning of the year when I started teaching, uh, one of the things that they told me is that students who you see struggling, especially if they're behavior problems, put them back a grade level and work. So I taught fifth grade, so I'd go to fourth grade. And if it was still the same type of thing, you go back to third grade. Somewhere along the line, you're going to hit where they're at. And as soon as they start to have that small success, like complete a worksheet without raising their hand a thousand times to ask how to do it, or read a small book and be able to understand it and enjoy it, and then slowly you can increase it back to the grade level they're supposed to be. But because they're constantly struggling and they're constantly hitting those walls, they give up. And then they're just a problem and a behavior problem. And you can spend all the time trying to say, sit down, be quiet, don't get out of your chair again. Or you can go backwards and show them that they can be successful, that it's possible for them to succeed on a piece of work. And then they themselves feel that confidence and it pushes them forward till you get them right where they're supposed to be at the end of the year. Very good. We've got Brent right here. Yeah. I was thinking um, uh, when, when Sarah and I, right after we got married, we decided to attack one of our um, debts. And, um, and so we, 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 we paid it off of about two months ago. And by doing that, uh, we were able to pay off another debt immediately thereafter. And I was thinking about that, what you were saying about attacking one habit. And we realized, now thinking about it, is um, we, it was our determined to, to get out of debt. And by, uh, by focusing on getting out of debt, we, we taught ourselves how to save and how to budget. And uh, by changing one habit, we were adding to uh, good habits by, by doing these things. That's very good. So that's what we're talking about, one thing, how one thing got... Uh, uh, Beth over here, you know, one thing on uh, how that can change. And so we're, this is, again, this is practical. Okay, Beth. Pastor, going back to the little things when I got saved, uh, uh, I, I changed from going to the nightclubs to the a concert scene at church. And the devil would always bring to mind, what are you doing in that little concert? You know, life is not there, you know, and what are you doing in that little church? Those little concerts, that little church were a refuge to me. 
and I begin to be delivered through those concerts yes. and, and that little church. And, and it just reminds me of those little things, how the little things in God just, you know, are stepping stones to other great things of your salvation. Say, man, just, very good. You know, it, you know, we do talk about change. And, and a lot of times that, you know, we say, well, I got saved and it all fell off of me. And thank God. But, but I think it, it had a lot more to do with what you're saying there. I remember when I was saved in Tucson, we used to have concerts on Friday and Saturday nights. And I remember asking Fred, this is before we were saved, and, you know, we're looking at the door from, like, outside, you know. And he says, well, the reason why is they're all drug addicts, and they know that if they let them out of the streets on Friday and Saturday night, you know, they'd never come back. And so, you're like, wow, that was true. And, and well, you know what? It probably was true. And I was one of them. And uh, th th that when I got saved, there was a habit. Uh, one habit that changed in my life was... On Friday night, I went to a concert rather than go to a party. Okay. On Saturday night, I went to a concert instead of go to a party. And you don't think about it like that. I didn't see myself as being in rehab, but there was these little things that were changing in me that were cascading now into so many other areas of my life. I've told you before that when I was first saved, you know, my habit was going to parties, and we got saved, and we still went to a few parties, a keg of beer. If, if you're, if you're a, a uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? Polite word. What's a polite word for deceived? Uh, you know, where, where you think that, you know, your teenage son or daughter is going to go, well, what, what are you guys going to do? Well, we're going to have cake and punch, uh, and they have a a little bouncing castle in the backyard and all that. I'm telling you, that's not what's happening. Okay? That's not what's happening. I, no, no, no. I would never tell them. No, no, no. Back, if you remember back 35 years ago when I got saved, parties for teenagers included kegs of beer, marijuana, harder drugs, okay? occasional drive-by shooting. Okay? That was... That was our parties, all right? And so I got saved, you know. I, this was my life. This is, you can look at me like, I can't believe you're a Christian. I'm, I confess, okay? First few weeks, we didn't go to every Friday night. Went to a party. Grabbed a cup of beer, go around witnessing to everybody I can about Jesus, you know, and how he saved my life and changed me. You need to get saved. You're going to hell, man, you know, and... Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, until one sinner finally had enough and said, if you really believe that, you wouldn't have the beer in your hand. That delivered me right there, okay? But those habits, when I began to change those little things, that's very, very astute observation. The little thing, okay? You want to get, out of, get a handle on your debt, you attack one little bill. Once you get that little bill, then you move on to big bill. And so this is how you do it. So let me give you another illustration. Alcoa. How many here have ever heard of Alcoa? This is the largest aluminum company in the world, one of the largest companies in America. And uh, it, there's an interesting story about how it fell on hard times. Uh, it was one of those American titans of industry that uh, began to be outdone by, by uh, Chinese uh, companies and other companies from around the world and uh, they had labor issues, they had major problems, uh, they, were, they were suffering, they were losing money, uh, their stock price was going down, they were in crisis mode. And so they decided to hire a new uh, CEO, and his name was Paul O'Neill. And when they brought Paul O'Neill in, you know, this guy was a wizard of Wall Street, and everybody was thinking, you know, what's he going to do? How is he going to turn this company around? And, and so uh, he looked at it. It looked very dire, they, they, like they were losing market share. They were not competing with uh, uh, third world countries and things like that. And so when he agreed to do it, Paul O'Neill was trying to figure out, how can I change the direction of this, of this company? How can I change this pattern of behavior and so he came out, and then when he agreed to take the job of big fanfare, and then he had a meeting, and this meeting was with, with, with all the top investors in Alcoa, 
and they wanted to know what are your priorities going to be now that you are the leader of this company. And he said, my number one priority is going to be plant safety. I want our plants to be the safest plants in the world. I want to get to a point where we have reduced accidents in our plants to zero. And, and that is my commitment as a new CEO. And when he said that, the investors were vexed. Like plant safety? We're losing money. We're bleeding millions of dollars. And you are going to plant safety is going to be your priority. This, and, and so they got uh, uh, very, very upset uh, that what this man was going to do. And he, and he wouldn't back down. He said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not no. Uh, you know, well, what about this? And couldn't we invest in new technology and, and, and try this thing and that thing? And, and no, I'm going to be about plant safety. That is my goal. That's who I'm going to be. So he took a beating in the media. Uh, the investors, even their stock began to go down. And everybody was thinking, this guy's on another planet. I want, you, I want to uh, go ahead and pull up this paragraph. This is what most people didn't realize, however, was that O'Neill's plan for getting to zero injuries entailed the most radical realignment in Alcoa's history. Key to protecting Alcoa employees, O'Neill believed, was understanding why injuries happened in the first place. And to understand why injuries happened, you had to study how the manufacturing process was going wrong. To understand how things were going wrong, you had to bring in people who could educate workers about quality control and the most efficient work processes so that if it would be easier to do everything right since correct work is also safer work. And what ended up happening is when he emphasized safety, the unions who normally give uh, you know, management a hard time, they can't argue with plant safety. Everybody had to focus in on plant safety. Management had to be accountable if anybody underneath them were injured. And so it would force everybody just to pay closer attention to their jobs. And so you didn't want to get it. You were rewarded if there was no injuries. Uh, management was in trouble if they didn't report injuries. And the union got behind it because they were supposed to represent the worker. And what ended up happening is everybody just started paying closer attention to their job. And guess what? Productivity increased. Less problems on the job. People felt better. And the next thing you know, Alcoa radically turned around, regained its market share, became again one of the most powerful, profitable countries in America because Paul O'Neill, before he took the job, looked at the job and figured, what is one thing I can do? If I could get this company to, to just focus on one thing, he believed that that one thing would become a keystone it would change all the other bad habits that were working in that company. One thing. You could just say, okay, what is the one thing that I can do? Listen to this quote on exercise. When people start habitually exercising, even as infrequently as once a week, they start changing other unrelated patterns in their lives, often unknowingly. Typically, people who exercise start eating better and becoming more productive at work. They smoke less and show more patience with colleagues and family. I feel that one bouncing around here right now. Some of you want to lean over and say, why don't you start jogging, you know? Now, if you are jogging to the taqueria, this quote doesn't count. But what we're talking about is, again, this principle, principle of one thing. I could just, you know, just start doing something and putting something in my life. It, would, it can make a difference in some other area of my life. Okay, anybody else want to throw? Okay, we got David, we got Daniel, and we got Joe. You know, um, I have a friend of mine that lost a, a good amount of weight and about 150 pounds and he told me he shared with me he said uh, he said I don't live to eat I eat to live and uh, he said um, if you remember that and you right before you eat think about it and it'll determine how much food you put on your plate 
And if you're eating correctly, chewing your food, and drinking water before you eat, you'll lose some weight. And I've lost 22 pounds. All right. It works. Good job, David. All right. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Daniel? Um, I was thinking about, because like you're talking about one thing at a time, and um, I remember when I was growing up, I'd see men that I looked up to, and I'd see them powerful and stuff, and I'd be, man, I don't pray, and I don't read my Bible, and I don't, like, budget my money like I think I should, and and then I'd try to do it all at one time, and every time I'd just get overwhelmed, and my problems would be like, oh, forget it, like, why am I going to keep on trying? And then I heard a sermon one time, um, and uh, the pastor was saying that the, that Christ, Christianity is simply growing, that um, if you if you don't if you don't pray every day, then you you're not gonna do like an hour. Just start 15 minutes, and little by little, just start doing little things one at a time, and then you'll grow, and then eventually you'll get there. But I would always try to oh I'm gonna do it all at once, and every time I would just get frustrated and didn't want to do anything. And I remember one time I just I I started praying. Um, I I because um I would have to get up really early, and my dad told me well just pray when you get home. And I started praying, and then when I got finished praying, I was like. Like, man, you know, let, let me just read the Bible a little bit. And, and so I read my Bible, and then I, I only intentionally wanted to pray that day. But because I did it and just focused on that one thing, it led me to read the Bible. And then from there, then um, just little by little, when I look back, a month later, I look back and I was like, you know what? If I can, if I can just do one thing at a time, then that'll change me. And also that, that I can actually have... Um, um, discipline and it helped me to see that I could discipline myself but I had to focus on that one thing and then my finances changed I would always get my income tax and I would have to be paying stuff off throughout the year that I did and the last two years I just had that money that I could save because little by little I had, I had just just that one time just saying I'm going to do this one thing today and it ended up changing all the other areas of my life very good yeah that's a very good picture of it growing and so Absolutely. Uh, let me just comment on that because what Daniel's saying is true, that a lot of times people look at certain people and they see a disciplined prayer life and knowledge of the Bible and, you know, and they're hitting on all eight cylinders and it can be intimidating. And so we want to go from zero to that. If you're here this morning and who needs Mark 130, get Mark 135 in, in a minute. But, but if you are here, and let's say you're not entirely happy with your prayer life right now. If you're on your list of things that need to change, you know, don't think, well, okay, that's it. an hour a day I'm going to pray. Those are like the people that, you know, they've been munching down on, uh, on wings and uh, uh, hot fudge Sundays every day, and that's it. You know, lettuce from now until September. And, uh, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have to do that. Do something realistic, okay? Say, I just need to pray. I need, what I need to do is, I'd love to see you here in the morning. Believe me, it blesses me to see you here in the morning. But if you're not here in the morning, you still need to pray. It's not all or nothing. Like, you know, the alarm goes off and it's 6.45. Ah, I missed it again. And just roll, roll out of bed and pray. Just do something. Start and say, I'm going to just deal with this one thing. Joe? Uh, when I was, I think, uh, 19 or 20, I was the team Bible study leader. And uh, as a young disciple, I was like, you know, hardcore and I get flakes and you know how, how, the, how people are. I can't believe these guys. So there was a teenager that came to me with some problems. And I said, well, you know what? He goes, I'd like to talk to Pastor Ruby about it. And I said, okay, well, you know, let's go. And so I sat there while you were talking to him many years ago. And... Uh, I thought you were, you know, going to, you know, look, you lust. Oh, he came with lust problems. Okay. And so he, I thought he was, I thought you were going to, you know, look, you know, I thought you were going to tell him all this stuff. And so I remember you're, you're there and you're very gracious. And you tell him, okay, you know, what I want you to do is I want you to, um, I don't want you to watch TV for, uh, I believe you told him a month. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? What the heck? What, what, what about casting out lust or something? <laughs> but... I remember you telling him that, and I, and I said, you know, I had made no reaction or anything, and we, you prayed with him. And, and I, later on, I asked her, I go, Pastor, uh, uh, please help me out here. You know, you just told him to stop watching TV for a month. 
He says, and you told me, Joe, if, if, we, if he can win the battle over this TV habit that he has, then it will lead him to victories in other areas. And I didn't understand it till right there and then. And uh, it was a powerful education for me. Wow. I don't remember that. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's, a good, I, that's a good one. <laughs> so I say, hey, did you hear that? You know, <laughs> you know uh, it's true, though. You get those victories. Now, listen, listen to these verses. Mark 10, 21 and 22. Mark 10, 21 and 22. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. So here's this guy, rich young ruler. We know the guy. Comes, throws himself on his knees. I want to follow you. I want eternal life and everything else. And Jesus, one thing, one thing, one thing. You deal with this one thing. Look what you get if you deal with this one thing, okay? You will have treasure in heaven. You'll be able to take up your cross, which means you're going to have discipline. You're going to be able to have the ability to deny yourself. You're going to follow me. I mean, he, this was a keystone. I mean, it's a habit, this guy. And we always look at it, why? Does that mean I have to give up everything? He looked at this, this keystone habit, this one thing, and this one thing was going to pivot, his whole life was going to pivot on this one thing. None of us could deny that. Eternal life, treasures in heaven. Versus the word sorrowful. You know, it's like he was standing at this crossroads, treasures in heaven, follow me. You're going to have this. And, all, and this road is, you know, sorrow. Okay, so yeah, how many uh, older people remember Let's Make a Deal? Remember Let's Make a Deal? And Monty Hall would come and say, are you going to take what's behind curtain number one or where curtain number two where Carol Merrill is standing? Uh, and you stand there and the crowd is, one, two, one, two. They have no clue. They're just yelling numbers. And you're standing there. And, I mean, this is, here he is. This is a money thing. He's standing there. Treasures in heaven. Sorrow. Where which right are you going to go? All on this one thing, this, this one habit of yours, which is, you don't like to give any money away. You are a tightwad. You are a skin flint. You squeak when you walk. You do, you, you, the worst thing in the world for you to do is to give a penny to anybody, and it's the one thing, the one habit. And he couldn't do it. And he walks down the road of sorrow. One thing. Not 10 things, not 20 things. Didn't beat his wife. Okay? Didn't do that. Just, just one thing. Luke ten forty two. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So here we find again one thing, but now it's the good, a good thing. Here's Jesus rebuking Martha. Martha's the the person in the church who's so busy and ah, just so stressed out. I'm so busy and nobody else is helping, and ah, and uh, just complaining about everybody. And, and uh, Jesus is correcting her over one thing. One thing is needed. I'm in your house. I'm sitting here dispensing kingdom pearls. Mary is at my feet listening. I, I hang it on every word. And you're in the kitchen, stressed and agitated and angry and frustrated because of one thing. If, you, if, if that one thing would be worship and devotion and relationship with God, is the most, that, that's the one thing, and everything else flows out of that one thing. Now, isn't it ironic that Martha is upset because she believes that she's sacrificing while Mary is just worshiping? And yet, in the end, we know that because of the one thing, Mary is going to give the most notable sacrifice in the whole New Testament outside of the Lord Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, I want what she's done told everywhere you preach. That the one thing which we could call worship caused her 
to go into this expression of incredible sacrifice. And, and her sister, that one thing, which was that lack of wonder and worship, whatever you want to call it, has just become busy with the nuts and bolts, and she's lost the one thing. So we're talking about something that's very powerful. Okay. Here's another one, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting these thing, those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we would call the apostle an incredible success. And he says, this is the one thing I do. So all the things he said, every, all the revelation, this one thing I do, it's time to get out our pen. What do you do? Give me one thing, Paul. I don't need 10 points. I got to tell you, when I hear someone preach and they say, I want to give you 12 points, I, I say, oh, no, how long are we going to be here, you know? 17 reasons Jesus is coming back. Just tell me one, man, you know? <laughs> one thing. What's that one thing? I forget the past. Keep looking forward, pressing to what God has for me. That's it. That's the one thing I do. I mean, I mean, you say, but what about all the other things? Yes, but I've got to forget the past, whether it's past success or past failure. Paul had them both. He had credible successes. He had spectacular failures. He goes, I, I just had to let it go. Let it go. You're a hot shot this morning, and you've, you've, you've clicked on all cylinders, and you're just, you're, you're, you're Mr. Wonderful. Forget it. You dragged yourself in here feeling like you're the dirtiest, rotten sinner in the world for the things you've done. Forget it. I'm going to go forward. And when I go forward, I'm going to go forward in the kingdom of God. I'm going to press in what God has for me, no matter what's happened in the past, there's nothing that can prevent anybody here from pressing into what God has for you in the future. And no past failure and no past achievement can prevent you from just saying, I'm going to go forward and serve God. One thing. This is what we're talking about this morning. Okay, Mr. Medrano, you had your hand up. And then I want to do one last thing. Uh, yes, uh, but talking about one thing, uh, I've been serving God for many years, and I'm always uh, seeking more from God, and uh, always talking to people about doing more. And even my wife said one day, she said, you always want to do more, you always want to help out. But I always had that hunger, and I still do, and one day, I had bought a little booklet, a one little booklet for my brother. And one day he died, and I was able to have all his possessions because I was in charge of his belongings. And this little one book, until this day, I still use it, and it's been an inspiration for my life. It's been opening doors. It's been a blessing. It's been uh, enlightening. And I, and I use that little book every day. I read that book. And it's always receiving something, and I share it with my wife, and I share it with my children, and it's been a wonderful blessing. And I tell my wife, my God, my brother had to die so I can receive all these things because that little book belonged to him. But when he died, I was able to possess it in my hands and my possession. And now that little book has been doing a wondrous thing about my life. Thank you. That's all. Very good. One last verse. I want to leave you with this. Mark 135. I need that. Who wants to read that? Andy, Andy you're here. Why don't you read it, all right? Uh, and, in, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Okay, I just want to leave you with this. You're sitting here as I'm talking about one thing, and you're thinking, okay, what is the one thing that I can do? What is the one thing that I can do? And you're looking and you're saying, well, maybe it's the three bacon and egg every morning. Uh, you know, drag racing on 410. 
you know, what, it is, what, what could it be? It's the three hours of Instagramming every night before I go to bed, you know. What, what, what one thing could you change? I wonder what one thing you could change. What could it be? What could you do? Okay. I hope you're reading that verse behind me. You want to change your life. I truly believe with all my heart. Pray every morning. I really, you know, because, you know, the, the prayer meetings are a wonderful thing. Sometimes I think, as uh, somebody made the comment here, is that we think, well, if I can't attend a prayer meeting, I can't pray. I, I don't believe that. That was not the intention of prayer meeting. In my mind, prayer meeting makes it easier to pray because you have an appointment, because there's the difference between rowing in a boat by yourself and being in a boat with four other or five others rowing with you. Okay? I think those who pray together tend not to shoot each other. And there's, there's definitely benefits of it. But if you wanted to change something, you wanted a keystone habit, I submit to you that this would be one right here. You know what? I'm going to make up my mind that every morning I'm going to set my alarm, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to wash my face, and then I'm going to pray. Like uh, Daniel said, it doesn't have to be an hour somehow. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, pray. Just talk to God. Enter into worship. Speak in tongues. Have your Bible in front of you. And say, I'm opening this Bible and I'm going to read. I'm going to read. I'm going to read through. Not just, you know, guru. Throw it open. Uh, you know. But I mean, well, you just say, okay, I, I've got to know the Bible. So I'm going to read First and Second Samuel. I'm going to make that my priority. I'm going to read two or three chapters of that and just, just establish a habit. Attack it with everything you've got. Thankfully, most of you, the issue is not breaking a cigarette habit like the lady. I'm not saying if you start reading the Bible, you'll be doing marathons by September. <laughs> but you can do something. And for many here, one thing, be that right there. Okay, I got to stop. The Lord bless you.